Portions of the following episode were recorded after the coronavirus pandemic started, but before the murder of George Floyd and related protests. We know these events have had and will continue to have tremendous impact on our lives and our community, and of course, the work of artists. We assert that Black Lives Matter and will be working on content that deal with such topics. As always, we'd love to hear more about what you'd like to hear from us. Stay tuned for ways to reach out to us at the end of the show. Welcome to the Relief Podcast from the Akron Art Museum. Comfort and joy for these uncertain times. I'm Seema Rao, Deputy Director and Chief Experience Officer. And I'm Gina Thomas-McGee, Curator of Education. Well, today we're talking about play, um, and I feel a little like I am ill-qualified to talk about play because I feel like I'm working all the time. Oh, you probably are. What kinds of stuff are you playing with? Tell me about play. Remind me what play is like. Ugh, I am sort of obsessed with play and the idea of play. It is probably the most inspirational um, part of my teaching practice. I would say. Uh, I think play is really, really, really important to the development of children and of artists and for people, like grown-up people. Um, I just think that so many discoveries can be made through play. Actually, I think all discoveries are made through play. Inventions, um, I I don't know, maybe even... uh, what I'm trying to think of, (laughs) what do we need right now? Oh, vaccines. You know, maybe somebody's playing around with things. Um, I just think that it is a way for your brain to figure things out. You know, it's interesting. Playing around is a phrase that you often hear with adults and play is a phrase that you hear with kids, but they're actually the same thing. Somebody years ago, oh, it was the person um, who ran Mr. It was uh, Mr. Rogers she ran she ran she was like the producer for mr rogers and she gave this talk and i remember her saying uh play is work for kids and and i and i think that we lose that so i you i think of myself i haven't had any time to play i feel like but i have been playful um and it's sort of like you know it's and it's sort of like a grown-up way to do it i think when we for example uh brainstorm it is a kind of an act it's like an intellectual play it is it's play for your brain to be able to um sort of let go and and think of possibilities and i don't know to to let go in that way and not have really any expectations other than to i mean do what you can in that moment definitely and you know it's that is so hard letting go um, is I, I would not have said, I mean, maybe other people would say she's real controlling. I don't know if I'm super controlling, but, um, one thing that has been feeling really hard right now is letting go. Cause it feels like all of the balls are in the air. I've been at more than one meeting where somebody has described themselves as the person on the unicycle with the sticks and the, um, plates, you know, they're spinning all the plates and juggling and doing everything. Um, and I felt like that too. So letting go and play is actually, it's a great way to recharge. Definitely. And it can lead, I mean, there, I'm sure there's a study, shout out us, shout out at us if uh, you have some data on this, but I'm sure there's some sort of study that says that play leads to, you know, uh, 
more productivity, all sorts of things. Not that that needs to be the goal. I think hopefully during these times we're letting go of productivity is like a measure of everything, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it can lead to so many amazing things. And I mean, artists teach us that, children teach us that, that play is so important. And that's what we try to do at the museum with a lot of our programs is sort of, um, instead of setting up projects for people to do, children or adults, what we like to say is we set up invitations to kind of play. Like, and it does take a lot of work. Any parent will know this, any teacher will know this, um, anybody who organizes other people and sort of leads other people will know that you have to do a lot of work on the back end to allow that kind of open-ended exploration and play to happen. But it's so worth it in my mind. I'm like real, I don't like the word passionate, but I'm real passionate about play. Well, it's so freeing to not have to have an endpoint. When we do these open-ended things at the museum and we do them in our lives, we're not telling you you have to go anywhere. And you're letting go of there's something there's something very, you know, Buddhist about that. Like you're letting go of um the desire to get somewhere, which in our life, whoa. Right? Oh, I feel like especially, yeah, I don't know, in the before times, that was definitely the the motivation for everything. But hopefully, I don't know, maybe this will be a good lesson to us to, to let some of those things go. While you were, you were saying that, I was thinking there's this saying in early childhood education that it's process over product, right? So the product almost doesn't matter. And it doesn't really matter to children. Um, it, you, that's why often you'll see children make something and then throw it away. And lots of times grown-ups are like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's because they already made it. The experience already happened for them, and they're done with it. So um, that's, that's a challenge we have as museums, right, is that we are all product over process. And all the play that it took the artist to get to a point, I think we've talked about this on previous episodes too, um, we often don't see artists playing. So maybe that'll be something we'll explore as we um, get back into the, the physical building of the museum and think about how we're presenting work to our visitors. Yeah, it's true. Though, you know, I think that the creativity that we, creativity for creativity's sake is what, you know, we do a lot of in our galleries. The other thing that's hard, and I always think this about collection objects and things like that, those artists are at work, right? That's their process and their practice. Now, they certainly do, I think that there probably is playfulness. They're, they're like our brainstormers. They're like our brainstorming. Um, they're, that's their job. And for home, we're not, I don't think we're espousing, we're not teaching anyone to become, um, you know, I don't know, let's think of a very, an artist in our collection that does fine polished works. Um, Raphael Gleitzman, we're not teaching you to make a, a perfect rendition of downtown Akron. We're just inviting you to let go. We're inviting you to be in the moment and to do creativity for creativity's sake. Raphael Gleitzman, on the other hand, was a working artist um, whose process, and he had a very, I think, kind of exacting process. Um, but that's the other thing. We're not, museums aren't there to make you feel bad about what you're making. They're there to inspire you to make. Definitely. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing, like, children don't need instructions on how to play, right? Um, and so when we think about programming that we do for adults, we are hoping that it doesn't need instruction, too. That the environment we're setting up is so rich that whatever is going to come out of it is, you know, sort of like a natural process. Um, that we're really thinking about how, how can we make adults or grown-ups um, comfortable to play, 
and it can be like physically making art, but even comfortable enough to play, let's say if we're doing um, some sort of discussion program, you know, maybe meeting with their curators and talking about exhibitions or doing um, a committee, you know, some committee work or something like that, where we're playing around with ideas. Um, yeah, it's a challenge to invite people to play and feel open enough to do it for grown-ups. Wouldn't it be great? You said the before, and I have um, had to spend a lot of time because of our jobs, and I know you have too, thinking about the after, you know, once we open and the phased opening, and then the someday there's going to be a, you know, a, a immunization and all those kinds of things, the after. But what if this moment now for everybody, um, they get to take some really positive things to the after and letting go and being able to play would be one of the most amazing as adults, because you just said the thing that I think for me always strikes me as the hardest thing, getting adults to be playful. Um, there's so few, there's so much fear in it. Uh, there's so many reservations. I admitted that I don't feel like time is the, one of my biggest restrictions. Um, but that would be a great like lesson out of your out of like you know we have to take something positive out of this time that would be great yeah I mean it can seem like a luxury right I mean it's you know there are real things that need to be accomplished and, and tasks that need to be done each day so I mean it's really rough sometimes as an adult to get to that point where you feel like you can play so maybe maybe our job as a museum too can be to help people build in tiny, tiny little bits of play into their everyday lives. Um, even if you think about it, taking, you know, one extra minute while you're getting dressed in the morning to think about adding something playful to your wardrobe or just, you know, allowing yourself to put together two different things that you wouldn't normally piece together. Um, could be, you know, that could be your play for the day, right? Actually, that's great. Try to put one thing of play for the day for like a week. Imagine how different you've, your brain would be. That's a great thing to come out of this. Play for the day. See, now this is how Seema and I are going, now we're going to assign ourselves like a series of programs that we're calling play for the day. And <laughs> so we've once again done this very American thing where we're turning our play <clears throat> into productivity. But we like our work. Our work is play. So we are very, very fortunate in that. <laughs> you're, you're, totally. That's the first thing I thought. I was like, how are we going to do this? No, you're right. You're <laughs> right. Um, but I guess that there's also the downside of play in some ways. Um, in our house, I was telling Gita the other day, my second daughter was uh, was watching something on her phone and making uh, Kraft mac and cheese while standing on a um, stool, but only part of it. So it was it was only on two feet. And I came over and I was like, ah, um, we can't go to the emergency room during COVID. And I think you had said the same thing to your son, right? Yes. I'm like, you can play, but like when you're climbing this tree, be careful because the mom is not going to the emergency room today. Um, and, and that's the thing about kids. They're playing in ways that are without any sense of consequences. Um, and that's a probably what holds adults back, right? It's the consequences. Time. <laughs> I have run out of time. I need to do something. Um, and actually, you picked out this work this week. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's also one of your favorites. You often mention that these are your favorites. Um, but this work, I have to admit, I actually I love the photograph. I think it's composed really well by Helen Levitt. But it... You, if I, this is one of those ones that reminds me that I'm an adult. So I was um, a gymnast, and so I did a lot. Of, I would have been able to do this, and I often was found like climbing on the, standing on top of a, 
on top of things, hanging from doors, because I was a gymnast, and it didn't scare me at all. But now as an adult, this work makes me feel like, oh my God, they're going to die. <laughs> and yeah, so you'll hear our colleague Reggie talk about the work, but it's Children at Play in New York, and it's it's part of a series that Levitt did of um, children playing sort of in the cityscape. And the photographs, the museum has a bunch, so look them up on the museum's collection site. Um, but this one, the children are playing very dangerously and very much up high. But um, the series itself, you know, it's just so magical. She has really sort of taken a look at these children in their natural habitat, right? I mean, they are playing on stoops and in this in the street and on sidewalks and she's just capturing their play in such I don't know, a beautiful and sincere way. This one is very it makes my heart skip a beat, but um it's it's real, right? It is. It's beautifully composed. So we'll say for your play for the day, don't take this one from Helen Levitt. Pick another one. <laughs> yes. There's one of two children dancing. That's, that's a good one, too. Look that up. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. So we'll turn it over to our colleague, Reggie. Hey guys, it's the museum's curator of community engagement, Reggie, and I'm here with this week's deep dive. This week, we're talking about play with Helen Levitt's photograph, New York. This photograph is actually part of a larger series by Levitt that captures different neighborhoods and communities in New York. The museum has acquired several works from this series, and all of them can be accessed through our online collection. With her camera, Levitt caught everything from grocery store trips to urban chickens roaming the street and... Of course, she captured multiple moments of play, like this one. In this black and white photograph, we see a gaggle of boys precariously horsing around on a ledge outside a brick building. And it takes everything in me not to hold my breath looking at this image. The obvious action in this scene is the high wire scuffle at the top of the composition. But my favorite character, and the one I think might be the most playful, is the little boy hiding behind a pillar in the bottom of the work. If you look closely, you'll see he's peeking out to stare right at the viewer with a mischievous grin on his face, begging the question, what is this kid up to? This composition that Levitt has created, and the composition she uses throughout the series, actually infuse the works with a sense of play, no matter the subject. She often places the action outside of the center of the photo, making it so the eye has to jump around to catch all the different parts of the scene, like that little boy hiding behind the pillar. The people in her photographs often teeter on edges, like the fighting boys at the top of this ledge, or they curl in and out of strange positions, or they lean at funny angles. I think with these oddities, she's inviting the viewer to have a playful curiosity about these New Yorkers, to think about their lives, and to celebrate everyday moments of levity. Well guys, I think that's all the play I have in me for today, but I'll meet you here next time for another deep dive. Reggie, thanks. That's a great deep dive. I love those photographs, the whole suite of them. We're very lucky to have them in our collection. Uh, they're wonderful to look at. They're beautifully composed, beautifully printed. The gradations of color is so wonderful. Such a masterwork of photography. 
And for me, that's, of course, important. But it's also the way the play is infused in everything. The lines, the compositions, there's just, you want to laugh when you look at some of them. And that's a rare kind of photograph. I think a lot of museum photographs are important on so many levels. But sometimes play isn't the first thing you think of. With her works, I often just want to chuckle. Uh, and what a wonderful uh, segue, perhaps, to the works of Alex Couch. Caitlin is going to do a wonderful interview in a second. Um, and one of the things that I thought of when I heard it was how Alex is a little bit like um, Helen Levitt, that she creates this really masterfully made work, so finely crafted, such beautiful sense of composition and uh, mastery of line and form. But they're also so beautifully playful, particularly, I think, to me in the way that they use color. But I love looking at these works. I could look at her works forever. I walked by uh, um, her installation that we had in the summer in the museum's lobby, and I could just look at those faces all day long. And that is the power uh, that some artwork has. So I'm glad to pass it over to Caitlin, who is speaking to Alex Couch. Hi, it's Caitlin. And for this Shop Talk, I chatted with Alexandria Couch. Alex is a multimedia artist who was born and raised here in Akron and is currently finishing her last semester of undergraduate degree at the University of Akron. Alex's work utilizes many practices such as drawing, painting, collage, textiles, and printmaking, and it focuses on the Black experience, how culture and identity are impacted by unfavorable or unsupportive environments. You may have rented Alex's work from the Akron Art Library program or honestly have probably seen her work around town. She usually has a few projects in the works. And with that, here's Alex's Shop Talk. Hello. I know you're so busy and I just want to say thanks for giving some time to chat with me and it's good to see your face. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm so sorry. I haven't been answering things. Oh my gosh, you're fine. Just fall off the deep end. And then when I go, I spend all my time looking for like a life jacket or something. So (laughs) yeah, no, dude, I understand. But um, got it. We'll go ahead and get started if that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So what are your thoughts on the Helen Levitt photograph I sent along? So I did some, I did a bit of research on Helen Levitt as well as looking at the photo. I like to know my research before I look at something or after just to kind of get a more valid interpretation. But, you know, children playing, it kind of just points at kind of the tenacity and the, the, um, the strength of children during hard times to still have fun. It's kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel, or maybe a light in the proverbial tunnel, the ever going (laughs) tunnel. Um, Children are always kind of able to find time to make themselves happy. And I think it's something that you learn to cherish and appreciate as an adult. Um, You're always looking for a sense of play or a way to relax. And oftentimes we're so high strung that we forget to do that. They don't think about a lot of the things that are going on. And even if they are, they still find time to make room for themselves. It's definitely a good lesson learned. I think she did a lot of work during the Great Depression, I think is what it said. And we're kind of coming into a spot like that right now. I think just in a general sense, 2020 is pretty depressive. Yes. Um, and it's a... <laughs> It's kind of a good reminder that there are still good things and you kind of have to take everything one day at a time. No, definitely. And I like that you 
because I wasn't sure with this photograph, it's always fun for me to see the perspective that the artist brings to this. But obviously there's like these figures and they're climbing this um, like posts outside of a building, which is definitely tenacious. I don't think I would be doing that. <laughs> but just even that perspective of, yeah, kids are so refreshing because they're very much curious and um, playful for sure. So I'm curious, how does the word play, like what does that mean to you? Process-wise, for me, it's continuing to keep interest in being explorative. So I'm a big mixed media person just for sheer fact that I'm bored really easily. Drawing is like my first love, kind of adding things to it and being able to sew and being able to paint and being able to stick things on and take things off has kind of become my first priority because it keeps me interested. It keeps me wanting to go to the studio and get something done in a way that's like fun for me. So it doesn't feel forced. I used to, or when I first started school, there was, I felt this big pressure to kind of like stick to oil paint because I was like, all right, this is the medium of the masters. If I don't know this, then I must be no good. But of course, that's not true. You know, you find things and you gravitate toward things that you're attracted to, you know, skill wise or not, you know, if you like it, you like it. And oftentimes your subconscious will just kind of follow suit in production of work. So Play for me is just being able to explore and try new materials, new mediums, new ways of finding things that inspire me. Play outside of work is my Nintendo Switch right now. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have Animal Crossing? I don't, just because the school year is starting and I know I'm going to put a lot of time into it. So I'm in my final semester. So as long as I can get past this semester... Animal Crossing is for the winter. <laughs> okay, so it's going to be like your graduation gift to yourself. Yeah, to myself. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I like that you brought up that you get bored easily and that mixed media because when I look at your work, there is so much media in the mix that it's like hard to kind of pick it apart because it blends so well. Um, but I also love you made that print for school about where um, you put the block under your car tire and ran over it. Yes. To- Great impression. Fabulous. So I love that you're always like branching out and it's playful in that way. Kind of curious now, what is the first thing you do in the morning? Because you seem like a night owl to me. I am. So first thing I'm doing in the morning, I always tell people I'm never fully awake before 1030. So a lot of what (laughs) happens is collecting myself. <laughs> and convincing myself to get up. But after I'm after I'm up, first thing I do is usually flip open my sketchbook, draw a little bit, or just I just look at what's there. Um, I spoke with Adana Tillman last week or two weeks ago, and she mentioned how she's a to-do list person, like she has an agenda. But I yeah. love that your version of that is your sketchbook. Um, and that's a really great a way to like use it both as a diary of what you've done but also like to-do list yeah no I'm also a to-do list person otherwise you know like I said I'm just forgetting what I need to do I'm someone who has to have like a, a time slot for everything so I'm wondering if your sketchbook makes this list what are your top three desert island studio needs oh yeah sketchbook for sure I think that's like my top need anywhere. (laughs) Um, It's the one thing I never lose. I've lost my debit card so many times and never lost a sketchbook. So sketchbook would be number one. Um, I think number two would be deco art acrylic paint. People can talk down about craft paint all they want, but it's my favorite thing ever. Number three would probably be this Uniball Vision Elite pen. 
I got like 10 of, ordered 10 of these because I keep losing them, but it's just like a simple ink pen. It kind of, um, I don't know, it has a nice like little bleed to it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good list. I can think of like five other different things because now There's I'm like, only, oh, I need glue. Right. Only three though. You got to improvise. Yeah, I know. Only island. Three. <laughs> I'm rethinking everything. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a favorite tool or item out of those uh, or just generally? I have a new favorite thing every week. My favorite thing this week is acrylic wash, you know, to kind of explain people. It's a water-based media that's kind of halfway between acrylic and watercolor paint. Don't know why I didn't bring it to the desert island. Okay. But. <laughs> you know, things happen. Things happen. I'm, I'm glad you explained that because my BFA, I never use gouache. I like kind of slipped through the cracks with that. So I needed that explanation. I think I just came across gouache by chance. But of course, like if you're doing undergrad or even graduate school, they're focusing mostly on like oil or if you're a printmaker, it's whatever you're using in there. So it does slip through the cracks for right. sure. Um, what is your silver lining during all of this? Oh, well, my silver lining is always that, and maybe this sounds a bit strange and um, maybe a bit cynical as well, but we're not going through anything that hasn't happened before. And I guess I, I take that as, you know, just looking at my, the way my parents handle things. When everything, you know, kind of started going downhill, my parents are like, you know, it, it was anthrax, you know, at some point. It's just a new thing now. They're like, I've never quite seen it like this, but, you know, you adjust. And so that's comfortable in the fact that in some ways things never change. And so we know that we are, we're going to adjust and probably going to be okay. I think the, the, the biggest fear is always the uncertainty of it. You know, while you're adjusting, you think of a million things that remind you that you can't handle right now. And you're like, will I ever be able to handle this? That's the most worrisome. But my silver lining is that I think we're a bit more prepared for it than we give ourselves credit for. You think of any movement in particular, like even the civil rights movement, there's a, there's a large upheaval and maybe it's not the exact change that we're looking for in that moment, but there's, there's going to be huge change after it that has lasting impact. If we grow up and we have kids at some point, when they're growing up, we'll be able to tell them, this is what happened when I was, when I was your age. And they'll be on dealing with their, a whole new set of, of problems to solve. So it's, it's kind of a weird silver lining, but I, I keep having to remind myself that, quite honestly, there's not much different than there was two years ago. I was having the same conversations. It's just that now people are more aware and that's almost right. a good thing to have so many people on board and engage with what's going on. We're just learning to be more generous and more empathetic. That for me is enough to kind of like keep me going. That's such yeah. a refreshing perspective. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, go um, ahead. Just what you were saying with like your parents dealt with this in their own ways as kids and how we'll deal with it and then future generations. But I love that you're looking at the bigger picture too of that. And because I think it's so easy for all of us to get hung up on those small details and feel like if this change doesn't happen right now, we can't move forward. So I right. appreciate that we should be comforted in the fact that if you need to rest for a while, that's okay because it's, it's not happening tonight. Right. <laughs> um, like I said, I think I got a Nintendo switch, you know, during all this, because I was just like, nothing's fun right now. And people are like, Oh no, why are you not going hard for social justice all the time? And I was just like, you get tired that way and yeah. you make mistakes that you don't want to make. You need to take time to sit with things. Speaking of having fun, and I'm going to do really quick and snappy this or that. Oh, okay. So I 
five of them. Here we go. Oh, I'm excited. Old or new? Old. Half full <laughs> or half empty? Mm, that's a hard one. <laughs> if it's like ice cream, I'm like, this is half empty. <laughs> oh, yeah. If it's literal food, it's half empty. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that one definitely depends, but I'm more, I'm definitely more of a half, half full type of person. Um, I, I would attribute that to you. <laughs> I would. Uh, we kind of talked about this one, but morning or night? Night. Night to early morning. Night okay. for sure. <laughs> okay. Fast or slow? Slow. Yeah. Preferred. Often doesn't work for me, but. <laughs> and last one. Salty or sweet? Salty. <laughs> really? What's your what's the go-to? Uh, fried pickles. <laughs> fried pickles? <laughs> yes. I think I'm more of a I'm more of a salty person than I am a sweet person. I don't know what that is, but now I just can't do super sweet things. Ice cream being the exception and yes. sometimes cereal, but I just can't eat them the way that I used to. All right. I'm, I was surprised by that, I have to be honest, but you learned something new. Well, quite honestly, I'm just food in general. Ugh, if you bring me a snack, I'll eat it, unless yeah. it's broccoli, you know? No um, broccoli? <laughs> trees and snowy trees. I just don't. <laughs> trees I don't snowy trees. <laughs> you can't cook them and convince me that they taste good. Now my super last question is um, just share with us any upcoming projects or what you're working on. What's cooking right now is for settling my schedule for school first. Um, I'm only taking two classes this semester. Right now I'm working toward my um, senior show um, and putting work together in printmaking and painting for that. Applying to grad schools. What else am I doing? There's always other things. Got an internship with the Arts Now folks. Some interesting things. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm at leeway to share what's right. going on right now. Just finished up a project with the Downtown Akron Partnership. Um, another local artist, Micah Kraus, and I um, finished these banners up. But those should be going up pretty soon, I believe, all along Main Street. <laughs> if you have question about where exactly these are going, ask Micah because he bikes everywhere and he actually knows where he's going. So um, I'm trying to think if I'm leaving anything out. I think that might be it. Okay. Um, Still a lot. Yeah. Hopefully more things to, hopefully more things to come. I like being busy. I like yeah. being involved. So yeah, no, that's it. That's it on my end. <laughs> cool. No, that's great. And I guess be sure to follow you on Instagram if people want to keep, keep up. Stop by and have a nice chat. <laughs> Peace of art. <laughs> All right, excellent. So um, we are so happy to be doing this and reaching out to you. If you want to reach back out to us, please do give us a call. Phone number is 330-790-1622 or throw us an email at podcast at akronartmuseum.org. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Relief Podcast from the Akron Art Museum. Comfort and joy for these uncertain times. Relief Podcast is a production of the Akron Art Museum. Today, you heard from museum staff members Seema Rao, Gina Thomas-McGee, Reggie Lynch, and Caitlin Evans, along with our guest artist, Alexandria Couch. Special thank you to Jordan King, who wrote and performed all the podcast theme music. Until next time, take care and live creative.